This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. I'm Kristen Chase, and along with Liz Gumbiner, we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we are going to talk about helping our kids foster positive relationships and effective communication at home, at school, and you know what? In life with author and now second time Spawned guest, Catherine Newman. And as always, we will close out our show with our Cool Picks of the week. We'll be right back jumping into this really awesome discussion right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Project Hashtag HPV. Hey parents, here is a very simple way that you could earn a little cash. The University of Arkansas is recruiting parents to join a study to learn about the HPV vaccine. Here's how it works. If you regularly use Twitter and have kids between the ages of 9 and 14 who haven't yet gotten the HPV vaccine, you may be eligible for Project Hashtag HPV. And if you are, you can earn up to $60 for completing four surveys and following a Twitter account for a month. Easy. You're going to want to go to hashtag HPV.com slash cool mom. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G HPV.com slash cool mom to find out if you're eligible. All right, so here's a little more about our now second-time guest. Catherine Newman is the author of the award-winning bestseller and reason why she was on Spawned before, How to Be a Person, and her new book, which we're going to be talking about today, What Can I Say? She's also written two parenting memoirs, Waiting for Birdie and Catastrophic Happiness, as well as a middle-grade novel, One Mixed-Up Night. She's also the co-author of Stitch Camp. Catherine is the etiquette columnist for Real Simple Magazine and the editor of the James Beard award-winning kids cooking magazine, Chop Chop, and a regular contributor to publications including the New York Times, O, the Oprah Magazine, Parents, and Cup of Joe. Newman lives in Amherst, Massachusetts with her family. Catherine, welcome back. (laughs) Thank you so much. I loved that intro. It was so fancy. Yeah, well, you are fancy. Look at all (laughs) the things that you've done. I didn't make it up. That's you, Catherine. So I'm so excited to talk to you about this. This book, first of all, loved the first one of this sort of, I don't want to say series, but it feels, you know, they're very similar in style and illustration and all that kind of stuff. Worked so well, particularly with my older kids. And this one I'm loving with my youngest, who's 11. In fact, I just left it on the kitchen table and let her be drawn into it. But, you know, (laughs) I want to talk about the impetus for this. You know, I feel like after a couple of years in this pandemic, kids are having a really tough time with relationships and communication, you know, simply in part, they're out of practice. So talk to me about the why behind this book. You know, the pandemic, as I don't need to tell anybody, has just been this crazy shapeshifter. Like you think it's done and 
it's not done. So at some point when we were brainstorming this book, it was kind of early in the pandemic. And the impetus then was just feeling like kids were getting back to us about the first book, How to Be a Person, saying that they wished there were more social skills in that book. So we got a lot of mail. A lot of it was like movies of kids making quesadillas, which I loved. And then we got a lot of requests for social skills where it was like, if you write another book, write about like making small talk with your weird grandma or write about how to ask somebody (laughs) out on a date. And we were like, oh yeah, we should totally do that, which is really my wheelhouse because of writing that etiquette column, I was like, oh, I'd love to talk about relationships, you know, not etiquette in the use your salad Which fork. Yeah, I couldn't use. care less, right? I personally <laughs> have terrible table manners, like not interested in that kind of stuff. But in terms of relationships, which really is what etiquette is, I love that. So we started plotting the second book. And then as the pandemic dragged on, it became really clear to us that kids were just going to actually really need to be sort of retaught social skills. So the timing actually turned out to be good. It's amazing. And I think a lot of parents need to hear from you, and I'll do it too, that (laughs) kids are struggling right now, right? It's not just you. If you're thinking, why are my kids acting like this? It's like they've never seen a human being. It is really true. A lot of kids and and adults, honestly, we're out of practice. I mean, I went to a baby shower a few months ago, and aside from being slightly weirded out by being so close to people without a mask on, I was like, am I talking too much about myself? Am I asking? asking questions? Am I being too loud? Like it it was a thing. Oh my God, same. I'm exactly the same. I still am struggling with that. I was going to say, if you didn't say it, like, oh my God, am I talking too loud? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I feel that so much and the pull towards it. Like Mm -hmm. on the one hand, I feel like all of us, including our kids, anybody who had any introvert tendencies just buckled in for the pandemic, for the part where we were isolating or social distancing or not going to stuff. It was like, oh, hallelujah, you know, but even (laughs) introverts, and I say this as an introvert, I'm like a social introvert, whatever, not to categorize myself, but the research is that all the good chemicals come from in-person interactions, like Uh, all the good brain chemicals, right? That's where you get oxytocin, dopamine, all the stuff that makes you feel that ah feeling. And we want that for our kids. You know, we don't want them leading an online existence. We don't want them shuttered away in our homes. And to whatever extent we can help them by teaching social skills or reinforcing social skills or coaching around social skills, I think it's worthwhile. It is. And I think it's important to note that avoidance isn't actually good for anxiety, right? So people who have children and even adults who do have social anxiety, whatever level that is, avoidance, which is what we've gotten to do in the immediate, gives you relief. But in actuality, it does not help anxiety, right? Like that's what we do is we avoid, avoid, avoid. People are like, procrastination. Like, why am I procrastinator? That's like anxious avoidance, right? Like procrastinating because we're avoiding. So I think this is so great because there are people who maybe did have really social kids who, you know, adapted to their situation and now are being kind of pushed back into being back on their sports teams, being back in school. Parties are a big thing. And this is so timely. So let's talk a little bit about how you came up with the situations in this book. I mean, gosh, there are so many situations in terms of communication and relationships that kids encounter, particularly in middle school, but at any age, really. And so how did you decide? Did you like channel your middle school self? Did you talk to middle schoolers? I'm so curious. Okay, that's a really good question. And it has kind of a multi-part answer. 
Partly, yeah, channeled my middle school self. Partly remembered the questions my kids had in middle school. Partly got letters from kids from the first book. And then talked to a bunch of middle schoolers, which are usually the siblings of my kids' friends. And did a little like crowdsourcing at my kids' school. But the other thing we tried to do in this book, because obviously you can't cover every single scenario, is distill recurring principles so Mm -hmm. that... Uh, even if you're in a situation that isn't perfectly invoked by the book, you have sort of a sense of what the principles are that might guide you. Those principles being somewhat obvious, but also teachable and learnable. And the principles are like curiosity about other people, which is a huge and I think sort of undervalued trait, you know, that is teachable. How do you be curious about other people? empathy, flexibility, gratitude, you know, the kinds of gracious ways of being Mm -hmm. that are actually really important and fundamental to human relationships. And I say all that while also really wanting to encourage kids to set boundaries where they need to. And I find that a super hard balance to strike as a person talking to kids. On the one hand, I want kids to extend, extend, extend. I really believe that. Like, I want everybody to volunteer. I want you to be helpful. I want you to be expansive and inclusive and generous. But it's also really important to say no when you need to and to say, you know, I don't want to do that or I don't want to do that with you. So that's a tension in the book. But that doesn't really get at your question. Anyway, (laughs) yes, it was a mix of crowdsourcing, I would say. And Mm -hmm. um, to some extent, thinking a lot about having written the real simple column for 10 years, because the truth is adults and kids aren't that different. No. And that's going to lend itself to my next question, right? Because I think we forget that these skills, these social, emotional, relational skills are taught and can be taught. And I think about parents of neurodiverse kids. I worked with kids on the autism spectrum for many years, and they are very well aware that these things can be taught, right? Because they are getting therapies and education to teach their children these specific skills. So I think sometimes parents of neurotypical kids are just like, well, you know, they're just going to get it, right? Like they don't really think about these things being taught, but they still often struggle in many types of these situations, like how to say no to somebody, you know, like I still struggle with that. So I'm curious to know, have you heard from folks or have you encountered this sort of mindset of like, kids will just figure this out. Kids should just know this stuff, right? This is what school is for, right? They, they, They work it out on their own. Like, have you heard that? Or what do you say to that? I mean, I haven't gotten that as like an aggressive question, although I probably will. But I feel like that point is so important. The point you're making that kids who aren't neurotypical, kids on the autism spectrum, those kids who are in OT learning these skills are really better equipped with these skills. Like my kids were reminiscing about, we have a neighbor who's on the autism spectrum and he was in occupational therapy for, you know, a lot of his childhood. And he's like an incredible greeter Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. makes eye contact and he shakes your hand and he asks follow-up questions. And my kids are always like incredibly envious and felt like he was so good at all these social skills. And I was thinking about that, you know, the way nobody's ever really just sat down with them and taught them the skills. Like we do it on the fly on a as needed basis, but it's really a useful thing to remember that these are teachable, learnable skills and that in 
fact, the thing you said, like, has anyone ever asked that? I think that question is almost the default assumption is that it's like in the air we breathe, that kids learn social skills the way they learn language. They just osmosis it into their blood. And, and they don't really, like, they really have no idea about some of this stuff. And I always think about my own kids who are more or less neurotypical, who always need to role play stuff in the car. And they're 22 and 19. And I swear to you, if we went to a funeral tomorrow, we would role play offering condolences in the car. We just yes. would. Right. Oh, that's so great to hear. I think people really need to hear that. And we really need to normalize social skills groups. Right. You know, it's so funny yes. because, you know, I was a music therapist back in the day. We did uh, all kinds of social right. skills groups. Right. And I have a friend who's an art therapist. And yeah. so many parents with kids who are generally neurotypical kind of are like social skills group. But when you think about it, it's so good. The things that kids learn in these groups, right? Like how to apologize, you know, what to do if you miscommunicated something or like you misheard someone or you made a judgment like like these nuances and by the way a lot of parents who perhaps may also have social anxiety or may be introverts yep. and didn't yep. socialize as much they're not good at it either so the kids aren't gonna get yes. they're gonna watch their parents being awkward <laughs> oh my god it's really true well, right that yeah. yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I love revealing and making transparent for my kids my own awkwardness and my own dealing with it. Yeah. So I've been trying to be more like just, you know, when they're little and you're like, now I'm picking out cherries for our dinner. They're like a baby in the front pack and, <laughs> and you're just like narrating the process for them so that they learn about life. Yeah. I've been thinking about that with social skills because I'm trying to, instead of just hiding all my awkwardness or all my screw-ups. I'm really trying to be like, oh, now I'm having this like weird conflict with a friend because I blundered into some awkward thing I didn't mean to do, but this is how I'm trying to solve yes, this problem. Yes. Or brainstorming yes. with them, right? Totally. Like, what do you guys think about this? Yeah, like, or, should I, I do this? Yeah. Should I say this? Yes. Yeah, so it's yeah, not all yeah. so mysterious or as if we're just moving smoothly through the world while they're like grasping around for, you know, right action. Oh, well, I have a funny story for you. So my 13 year old goes to the same nail technician every few weeks and is always super happy. The last time she went, I came to pick her up and she walked out of the nail salon and burst into tears because it just the color that she had gotten wasn't the color or the design that she had wanted. And she didn't know how to express oh, wow. that she didn't want it. And it was it was impossible for her. Like she loves this girl. She sees her every time. They have a wonderful rapport. And she was just like, mom, I just didn't know what to say. And now it's awful. And I, it just take me somewhere else. I want to go somewhere else to get it fixed. I don't want to go to her. And you know, this is my, I mean, dude, like I could never do that. I just take oh. the bad color. I take the bad set oh. of bangs and a haircut. Oh God, right? Do you know what I mean? Like yes. I just, I cannot say anything either. It was such a great learning moment. I made an appointment for the next day. I called ahead. I told the girl, Hey, listen, she just didn't know how to communicate to you. I told her that you have people tell you all the time, probably in not nice ways that they're not happy. Yes. So for her to just be able to say, you know, and we talked about it, we said you could actually actually blame yourself if you wanted to. You could say, I'm yes. so sorry. You know, I realize yes. now I don't like that color when I see it on my hand, right? Yes. Like we really practiced totally. ways to do that. So I, I didn't tell her, that. but Catherine, I didn't tell her I was taking her back to the same salon. So when I did the next day, she freaked out. She was like writhing in her seat. She's like, mom, no, I can't do it. 
if it were me, I would have been freaking out too, but I was like, let's do this. So we walked in, we saw the girl who actually was the one who fixed it. And she's like, Margo, you can totally talk to me. Just let me know. It's no big deal. And I'll tell you what, great lesson learned. She will be able to express herself and understand if you're not satisfied with something and you're receiving a service, there are ways for you to state that, that are kind and empathic, but also still advocating for yourself and what you're paying for. I love that. Baby. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) And I have a story that's a slight counterpoint to that. So this is my son. Last summer was 21. We were at a restaurant and he did not get the meal he ordered. And I move into my, you know, mama bear, like, you got to tell them that's not what you ordered. And he was like, oh, it's fine. I'm happy to eat it. And I was like, well, you know, you shouldn't have to compromise. And he was like, hey, I'm different from you. For me, I'd prefer to eat something that isn't quite what I wanted rather than actually have this interaction. Amazing. And I thought, oh my God, I have to respect that. Like I cannot mow over this kid with my sense of like, no, you have to stick up for yourself. You have to this and that. And I was like, wow, that's so profound to me, right? Totally. You're going to be different. You're going to actually be different. And I think that's the choice that our kids or we should be able to make, right? Like sometimes it just doesn't matter, right? Sometimes I'm just like, it doesn't matter to me. Like I don't care. And like sometimes it does matter. And quite frankly, going to a different salon and having them fixed is also also a choice you can do. Like yeah, that is yeah, a completely yeah. legitimate choice for you to make right. is to just be like, I'll go have someone else do it and I won't have to address it. Not necessarily addressing it is also a choice. And I love this idea yeah. that we can let them do it. Yeah. And let them figure out lines up their values and comfort. Totally. All right. Let's talk about the haters. I know. Oh my God. I'm already getting a little bit of hate. Well, you tackle things like apologies, right? Or, you know, like all the sort of awkward social situations that we've been talking about, but you also So go in, you go in, you talk about being an anti-racist ally, like all of the things. I know you've had some folks who are, you know, perhaps some version of like, kids need to be kids. And why are we exposing them to such things? Right. I I imagine they don't sound like a Muppet, but I'm making them sound like a Muppet. Right. (laughs) But you know what? Kids are smart and they're encountering these issues, right? Like if your kids are on social media, they're encountering all this stuff. It is happening. Can you talk more about why you included those things in the book? Yeah, absolutely. For one thing, especially white kids need to really learn to become and practice anti-racism. Like you need to become an ally and you need to practice anti-racism. Like as a white person, that is one of your God-given obligations is my feeling. So to whatever extent anyone's going to say, oh, kids shouldn't have to deal with this. Kids of color are obviously already dealing with this. But I also feel like what we know is kids have incredible and enviable brain plasticity. They are just sponges for learning. They learn stuff so well, so easily. It's like why you can teach them a second language, a third language. They're just in the middle of learning. So creating some of these habits around anti-racism or gender inclusivity, you know, whatever kinds of practices bring their awareness to injustice, that's going to be so much easier for them now. This is what they're doing doing now is learning everything. And, you know, I've always been like super interested in non-normative gender. That said, my kids will never misgender anybody. Somebody can change their gender five times in a week and my kids will just nail it every For time. Real. And I'm like 
struggling. I know. With all good intentions. But like it is so hard. And so I just feel like, oh my God, kids, you can teach them anything right now. Yes. And I feel like they'll just learn it and practice it. And so what we hoped was that those skills of like interrupting racism and interrupting unkindness, you know, less politically loaded, but requires a similar skill set to whatever extent kids can make habits of those things now, like that's just going to make the world better, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've had other guests on talking about different topics, right? Like Jordan Shapiro was on talking about what would happen if kids were actually slowly exposed to social media earlier, knew how to have disagreements that were respectful, right? right? There would probably not be trolls. There probably would not be these hateful comments because they would understand how it all works. So it's like there is a benefit to starting things earlier. And like you said, kids' brains right now. Wow. I mean, this is the time. This is when the magic happens. I know. And also, I just need to plug my friend Kate Schatz's book. She has a book coming out with Kamau Bell, who's a comedian and activist. And their book's called Do the Work. And it's like an anti-racist workbook. And I'm plugging it because it's going to be incredible. It comes out in about a month. Awesome. We love book recommendations. I mean, bring them. That's fantastic. (laughs) All right. Well, last question for you is, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, I put this book out on the table for my 11-year-old and just kind of let her be drawn toward it. But how do you get kids? It's like, all right, we're going to talk about how to give an apology, right? Like it's tough. And the illustrations are fantastic. This book is so, it's like your first one, right? It's so approachable. It's really fun. It's funny. But this, I think in some ways is a little trickier. Mm -hmm. What's your recommendation? Is it something you hand off? Is it something you just chat about over dinner or after dinner, like talk to parents like, okay, they've got this book. Now, what's the best way for them to utilize it with their kids? I think that's a great question. And I love the idea of leaving it out. I think that works really, really well with a particular type of kid. And my daughter is this type of kid who does not want to be lectured or focused on around this kind of thing, but wants access to information. And so I think leaving it is great for kids like that. I think it's a book with younger kids that you could read together a little bit. Mm. And then if stuff came up or there were questions or differences of opinion between your family and the book, it would be great fuel for conversation. And then I do think some of the role-playing, which we do a tremendous amount of and have historically in my house, like, oh my God, a year ago, my son had to make his own doctor's appointment. Again, we're talking about a 21-year-old and we basically role-played it. We did mock him, I, I will have to admit that. Like we made so much fun of him, but we role played it with him because it was really like making a phone call or making a doctor's appointment. It's so alien to these kids. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that. And then the nice thing is if you start to talk about some of these hard social issues, it also just gets everybody in the habit of talking about it, which I think is so great. So yes. to whatever extent your family is just this like massive resource of support and ideas and like you trust them, then you can always crowdsource your social stuff. Like one of my kids, and I won't say which kid, but one of my kids crowdsourced yesterday how to break up with somebody Mm. with the family was like, should I say this? Should I do this? And I just felt like, oh, right. We're living out the really sweet benefit of having talked about this stuff for so long that we would have these kinds of open conversations about like, how do we do this? How do we be our best social selves? How do we balance our needs with other people's needs? Just all those really basic questions. But some of those are dinner table 
conversations. They're philosophical questions, you know? How do we engage with people's differences from us, which is really all of what this boils down to? How do we make the most of that? I mean, I love this idea of setting yourself up to be able to have those other conversations, right? So if you're willing to have these conversations, your kids are going to remember that right? And you're going to have a script because that's what the book is so great for, right? It's like you have a script to deal with potentially difficult, awkward situations. And don't you want your kids to be able to figure this stuff out while you're there and with them? You know, because that connectivity, that relationship that you have is catapulting for them to be successful in this. Just having you with them, connected to them. You know, I think about my oldest having to make her own doctor's appointments if she's going to be 18. But at least she's doing it while I'm here. Yes. Right? Like having my kids go and do it now because if they fail or if they mess up, you're there for them. I love that. You're going to be like, it's okay. You know? So I think what you're saying is so important for parents to remember that these kinds of conversations lay the groundwork for relationship. As Julie Lithcott Haynes said, right? Like you're going to have a relationship with your child as an adult longer than you are with them as a kid. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so deep. Yeah. Right. So let's do this now. Okay. So folks can find this book everywhere. I'm going to read the full title because it's long. It's not just what can I say? I mean, that's what you should know, parents out there, if you're looking for the book, but it's a kid's guide to super useful social skills to help you get along and express yourself, speak up and speak out, talk about hard things. And you know what? I love this. Be a good friend. And you can find it anywhere where you get your books. Of course, we will link up the book, our cool picks of the week, which are coming everything over on coolmompicks.com. Folks can find you, you're on Instagram, Catherine Newman, which I love. It alliterates, right? So it's (laughs) Catherine (laughs) Min. Yeah. Love it. That's right. And CatherineNewmanWriter.com. Is that the best place for folks to find you if they have questions? Absolutely. And I love, if anybody's kids ever want to write, please encourage them. I love hearing from kids. I'm from grownups too, but it's really fun to hear from kids. No, that's awesome. All right. Well, now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Catherine, you're my guest, so you get to go first. Okay. My cool pick is the show Heartstopper. And it's a show about a group of queer high school kids. And it is so wholesome and so romantic. And I watched it with my 19-year-old queer identified daughter and we like screamed and cried. It was so good. So it's just like the greatest show because on the one hand, it's not at all like skirting of gayness, but it also isn't especially explicit. It's just really wholesome and wonderful. So I'm recommending it. It's so good. Uh, I've heard so many good things about it. I can't wait. And it got renewed, right? For another yeah. season. Oh so. my God, I know. We're like counting the minutes. Oh, it's awesome. Wonderful. All right, so Tell me yours. great recommendation. Uh, you know, I am going to do a little plug for my own book because oh. it's out for pre-order, which is super exciting. Oh, congratulations. It's called A Thousand Miles to Graceland. And it's a mother-daughter road trip from El Paso to Memphis. And, you know, the Elvis movie is coming out. I mean, it's funny. It's heartfelt. It's a good 
good time. But you know, my characters are Asian American and I'm Asian American. It's really important to me to tell those stories. And my actual cool pick is Peggy Lee, who's a wonderful Asian jeweler who actually a lot of her pieces, you see them on TV shows, which I think is the coolest thing ever. But she does these Chinese Zodiac necklaces. And I've been waiting for her to do a dragon because I'm the year of the dragon. And she finally did one. And what's so cool is she's donating 100% of the proceeds to the GoFundMe for Stop Asian Hate, right? And I know May was actually, you know, AAPI Heritage Month, but it's really every month we should be thinking about Asians, right? Particularly what's going on in the climate right now. So I just love this. She has a couple others, the year of the ox, the year of the tiger, they're sterling silver. They're so pretty and really 100% of the proceeds go to such a great cause. So anyway, we will link Peggy Lee. It's L-I-P-E-G-G-Y-L-I.com up over on our podcast page. So those are my cool picks. Me like one and a half. I did cool pick of the week. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. And if you have a moment and you can leave a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it. You know, when you subscribe, when you download our episodes, when you just, even you just click five stars, if you got a couple minutes and you can leave an actual review. Speaking of which, if you do that to your favorite authors, cough, cough, hint, hint, it really goes a long way. (laughs) People don't realize, you know, we know about the Instagram algorithm, right? And Facebook, but Amazon has an algorithm too. And, you know, I love indie bookshops. I really do, but it's really important. If you love an author's work, go to their Amazon page, just leave them a review. It really, really helps. It'll take you five minutes. Just do it once a week, every week, just do one review. I just think it's such a great thing to do. Leave a podcast review. It's like spreading the love and it doesn't take you that long. You can also join us over in our Spawn podcast community on Facebook, where we chat about the show and pretty much everything else, plus Recipe Rescue and Outtake Your Kids. We're on social media. You know that, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye.